Welcome back. Our favorite sport has resumed. We've already seen some interesting results leading to the first major of the year, the Australian Open. Starts Sunday exclusively on ESPN platforms that will present first ball to last ball coverage. That means every court, every match, every day. In addition to what we've seen on the court this month, we've had action in the court. So there's plenty to talk about here with Brad Gilbert and Pam Shriver, who both join us from California. We have a nice intimate little uh, gathering here. So uh, everyone will get uh, plenty of time to ask their questions. Batting leadoff from the nation's capital, Liz Clark at the Washington oh, Post. Oh my, oh my. Um, I was sparing you all my, my awful appearance. I'm feeling very hag-like this morning. Thank you both for being available. I'm going to go against the grain, not ask about Joker to start because I know we'll get to him. Plus, I, I still think it's a coin flip if he's even in it. So I don't it's I don't, I don't see the point of drilling deep. But Osaka is my primary interest. So, um, you know, on a kind of mental health, emotional level, the last I recall hearing from her was that she had basically lost all joy in winning and felt only relief, you know, if, if she didn't lose. I, I've got that wrong, but I'm sure you remember. Um, and then I understand she withdrew from a tune-up with an abdominal injury. So what do you think is realistic for her, assuming she can go on and compete at the Australian Open, um, from what you know of abdominal injuries and what you sense about her uh her, her state of enthusiasm for playing again, competing again. Brad, you want to go first? You want me to take it? I, I, you, you want to go first and then I'll go after you or you want me to go first? I'll, all right, I'll back first, just for the heck of it. Um, well, first off, uh, we're talking her favorite surface, a hard court. And anytime you can show up at a place where you've won a couple times before, I'm talking the Australian Open, on a surface that's your number one surface by miles, um, she has to be talked about as a contender in this era of women's tennis, where sure, Barty is an established number one and she's playing in her home country, but Osaka certainly has to be in your group. I feel like she's had enough of a pause from that disaster of a loss to Fernandez that started Fernandez's role through to the finals when Osaka had the meltdown and then just said, which what Liz, you paraphrased. I think she's had a long enough time to reset uh, this many months. So while I don't think she's in the same condition uh, mm -hmm. that she was when she was winning her two U.S. Opens and even a year ago, she's not in the same shape. She can, like Serena, I think, over a course yeah. of two weeks, she can play her way into better shape. So not the same confidence as, say, a year ago, but I'd give her a chance. Thank you. Uh, Liz, a couple of things. One, she obviously prefers hard courts, you know, tenfold. And the, the stomach issue for a tennis player can be of big concern because there's not one shot potentially if you if she has tweaked it that you can fudge around having an abdominal injury if she's okay 70 80 percent it's like two tournaments if she can get you know we don't know where she's going to be in the draw she's going to be seated low but if she can get through the first week the courts are apparently playing incredibly quick which will benefit the way she plays if she can get through the first week Listen, I put her, I say there's 10 to 15 that can win this tournament. 
but she's probably in the upper three to four because of the, the surface and it being quick. But that whole first week for her is crucial and just kind of, you know, getting, you know, that confidence and, and she's had time away. But if she could win three matches in that first week, she could be in position for the second week. And just quickly on what Brad said, remember, yeah. when she gets to quarterfinals, <laughs> she's four for four winning. So more than anybody, the first week is crucial. Perfect. Thanks, both. All right. Next up, it's Richard Pagliaro at Tennis Now. Hi, Richard. Hi. Hi. Can you guys hear me? Mm -hmm. Can you hear me? Yes. Good. Okay. Hey, Thank you, Pam and Brad, for doing this. First, my first question is Novak's legacy. Could this have like a Margaret Court type impact on his legacy? Like, let's say he and Rafa finish with the same number of slams. Are people going to give Rafa the goat nod just goat nod just because of his, just because he wasn't, didn't have these kind of controversies? And the second question is, how does Novak sustain life unvaxxed on the tour? Is it sustainable? Is it possible? Is it workable? You know, what's his future? If he doesn't give back, Brad, you go first. On this um, I mean, it's a good question. Obviously, we're going to find out over the next period of time how this is going to affect him. I mean, it's it's not just Novak. I mean, COVID two years on is showing no signs of slowing up. And how, and, and the the question that you're asking is, is is a very valid question. How are you going to sustain on tour? I think there's going to be numerous countries if Novak chooses or any player chooses to be unvaccinated. I, I'm not sure how he's going to get in the States potentially to play Indian Wells, Miami. How is he going to get into Canada? I'm not sure every country, you know, if you're not has medical exemptions and, you know, an exemption for COVID. Um, there might be some for an irregular heartbeat, um, but it's going to be a very difficult proposition to be a full-time player being unvaccinated. That can be your choice, but to travel and do things that you enjoyed before COVID, you know, the, the freedoms that you had, it's not about having money or not having money. I don't believe that you will have anywhere near the same luxuries. Right now in Melbourne, you can't get into a restaurant anywhere being unvaccinated. You have to show your vaccination card. It's the same in a lot of places. So I, I think those normal liberties that you had and you expect to have, you won't have anymore. So I think, you know, traveling the tour, being unvaccinated, you know, maybe you only be able to play a few tournaments in 2022. And maybe by 2023, you won't be able to play any tournaments. And uh, if I can just tag on about his legacy. Um, I think, as you know, first off, as Liz Clark mentioned at the beginning, there's still probably going to be a shoe to drop um, as some investigations are going on as it relates to um, Novak's supposed positive COVID test in the middle of December and the events and the days after that that were public events where he shared space with people that he didn't disclose. He wasn't wearing a mask. He should have been isolating. So I think depending on what happens with the Australian government, if the minister pulls the ultimate card of revoking his um, visa and based on other facts that they've now had more time to investigate. So that would be 
a big blow because that would be to the blow more of his integrity. Um, obviously, he already has one of the most controversial moments in tennis history when 15 months ago, 16 months ago, didn't intend to, but he let loose with a ball in anger and it hit the linesman in the throat and he was defaulted immediately. Well, three, four minutes after a discussion, but it was imminent from a major. So he's already kind of had enough moments and enough question marks to definitely tarnish his, um, um, his off or it, it, tarnish his legacy, but certainly nothing will ever tarnish his record, his 20 majors and counting his weeks at number one, uh, that he's won all of the Masters series at least once, I think maybe even twice. Um, so there's that part that remains, but he's not the only athlete that has tarnished legacy um, with a tremendous all-time great record. And, and Pam and Richard, j- just to tag on, if you'd asked me six months ago or nine months ago, I mean, even by at the Open, I, I thought he was well on his way to smashing you know, the, the, the men's record. I actually thought that he would end up passing Margaret Court. I thought he might be 25 to 27 majors. But I, I think, you know, forgetting about his legacy, I do think that if he chooses to be unvaccinated, I think there will be numerous tournaments and other majors he will no longer be able to participate if he chooses to stay unvaccinated. Thank you so much. Thank you. Oh, and Richard, just one last thing. I think to put put it uh, compare the Margaret Court situation to this is uh, n- not not cool uh, because I, I feel like it's very very different what we're dealing with with Margaret Court. I'm just talking but about I in terms understand of- trouble. I, I understand it, it 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 upended her legacy as a tennis player, so I, I get that part. Yeah, I just mean in terms of polarizing issues that people are yeah. really fans also are just going to take sides. Want people get entrenched. That's all, you know, definitely different. Yeah. Okay, that's a fair point. Yeah, well, thank you so much. Thank you. Hey, Brad, your camera shot's gone weird. Come on, put put your... It's okay. Now it's better. All right, now we go uh, north of the border and Antonin with the RDS News Service. Thank you. So, yes, I do have two questions about uh, our Canadian players, of course. Uh, First of all, uh, on the men's side, uh, having just won the ATP Cup, uh, well, uh, do you see uh, Dennis and Felix carrying that momentum into the first major of the season and maybe taking the final step in a Grand Slam as they both did the uh, semifinals last year? And then on the women's side, uh, Leila Fernandez just made a like, kind of a surprise appearance in the final of the U.S. Open. So what will be the challenges for her right, uh, in this next uh, major now that everyone knows who she is? Um, I'll start with the, the Canadian guy. I'll start with it. I mean, Dennis and Felix, both incredibly talented. Um, but both of them struggle week to week consistencies. Like Dennis will have a good tournament. Then he'll, you know, post some poor results. Like after Wimbledon, he got to the semis last year, the rest of the year, he really struggled. Then he comes on strong, you know, at, at ATB cup. So I, I do think, you know, he switched coaches, uh, has a new coach now. Um, I, I saw that uh, Jamie Delgado is, is working with him. Um, so I, I just think for him, it's about consistency. And it's the same for Felix. There, the upside is unbelievable, but it's learning to be, you know, 
and win matches when you're at 70%, 60%. You know, that's maybe the, the di difference for both of them, making that next step and transition into getting in the top five. I also think for Felix, it's crucial this year and crucial very soon. He, he needs to win an ATP event. You know, he's been in so many finals yet to win one. And I know it's happened before somebody's won something big, but I, I think for him this year, I think a big step forward would be win two, three tournaments and, you know, for one of them to make um, the tour finals, make uh, Italy. And I'm going to be really fascinated to see how Fernandez backs up what she did at the Open, because I, I expect that she's going to move up in the rankings. I, I have the, the feeling that her game is going to translate well to a lot of different surfaces especially in Australia, if it plays quick, um, I, she takes the ball on. So I'm not, uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see her in the top 10 this year. And, and just a couple of uh, other observations. Um, first off, great that Felix and Dennis are born now. I mean, when I say now, that they're at the age they are now, because this is the generation that at least is going to have a lot more chances to win majors uh, in the coming 10 years than what the last 15 years has been like. I mean, the men have just, except for the three plus Murray and Vavrinka, it's just been a couple of sing single wins by Del Potro and Chilich. So they're in the right uh, era. They have, I feel like Canada's done a lot of things really well up there to develop multiple talents in a country that prior to the last five, 10 years, wasn't known as a tennis nation, but it is now. Um, so they're pushing each other, which is good. I, I happen to think Felix has a little bit more of an upside if, he, if the serve can continue to improve. I kind of like his professionalism. I think he has ability to what Brad says, be more consistent week in, week out. But, you know, maybe Shapovalov with his leftiness and it, it, maybe his high can be a little bit higher. But I feel like, you know, the ups and downs of been a little disturbing for me too and not seeing the consistency Layla Fernandez I think the fact she didn't win the U.S. Open is going to help her in 2022 I think what we're seeing from Radicano is totally understandable um I played my first U.S. Open at 16 got to the finals I won like three matches the next 12 months I just couldn't I had this higher profile and I didn't I wasn't ready it was way too soon but Fernandez is older and I think um you know, she's proven that she can win those big matches, but nobody, hardly anybody in women's tennis recently has really been able to back up a result with good results right away. So it may still take some time. So we, the North got something forward to look to down under. They got some young players that, that are in the mix. Thanks. And boy, isn't it more fun to cover when you've got <laughs> home interest in these majors. All right. Let's, uh, Bring Howard's questions, Howard Fendrich from AP. Um, his first question actually is uh, concerns uh, Osaka. What are you expecting? Is his game the one, to, her game the one to beat on hard courts? If you have anything more to add, either of you guys, uh, or do you think we covered it? Um, I think we pretty much covered it with Liz's question, but Brad, do you have anything else you want to add? Uh, I mean, just what I said before, I think it's just so crucial for her how good she is at the end of these slams, but it's getting through that first week. And then hopefully this ab injury is nothing. Uh, it looked like the matches that I saw that she played 
she looked like what had happened in New York, hopefully was behind it. So it was much more about her tennis. So that's why I'm saying it's that first week for her is really crucial and where she falls in the draw because her seating has dropped. And the other thing I'll add is she does have uh, a history of a couple of other times doing this where she gets enough matches in. She had hardly played. So I would imagine she was sore. And she, as I mentioned, she's not in quite as good a shape as she was when she was winning her four hard court titles. So for her to withdraw, uh, either during a tournament or the, the week before a major. She's done that before and then won the next major. And then the only other thing I will say that I think is really crucial and it kind of ties into the, the abdominal injury needs to not take away that service weapon. When, when she's playing her best, she's got three big, huge weapons, the two ground strokes and the serve. And if the serve is setting up the ground strokes, then she is just tough to beat on a hard court. So I'm looking especially keying on the serve for her to win her fifth. I mean, she's probably, Pam, would you say when she's on now, does she have the biggest serve in the women's game now? Or where's the uh, serve with Serena's? Yeah, she's she's generally, when she's on and hitting it big, it's in the low 120s. Yeah, where's my... Uh, there you go. Um, let me... Uh, give the detail on what Pam said about nobody give uh, being able to back up on the women's side, a good result last 19 majors, 14 different champions. And in the last 12 majors, seven first time major winners. So that's the, uh, the state of uh, the uh, WTA, uh, very balanced, uh, uh, very uh, deep fields. Okay. Howard's second question is about Andy Murray. Is it hard to believe this guy was congratulated for a great career and sent off into retirement a few years ago in Australia compared to how he's playing now? And Brad, you and I, I think, covered that match against Batista Agu. We covered Batista that Agu. match against well, Batista Agu. Right, right. You and were it was in like booth. late at night, and they, they put up the montage on the video board. And we were both thinking, he's only 31. But uh, amazingly, you know, he obviously had the hip procedure. He's battled some different injuries. And now three years later, he's back in Australia. I saw a couple of days ago, his big goal, if it's possible, is to get to 50 ATP titles. He, he switched rackets now, got a, like a bigger racket, I think. And so I think that he, for the first time, is starting to believe that maybe this metal hip is okay. And I think that he's motivated. Um, I wasn't sure that we'd ever see him again after that match in Australia because he he sounded like a broken man then that he didn't think his hip could be fixed. But obviously he's got a new renewed attitude since these procedures. I think he had a few of them, but he's feeling a lot better. Um, now it's about him, you know, getting some confidence and winning some of these matches because he's been playing a lot of tournaments, getting a lot of wild cards. Um, he's in the quarters now this week of Sydney. Um so I think he's probably starting to think more about goals and, you know, winning again, opposed to not being hurt and getting back on the courts, Pam. I don't know if anyone loves the sport more than Andy Murray. I mean, to go what he went through with the pain and tried to play that match against Batista Gu down two sets to love, then he won the next two sets and he didn't have enough in the fifth. And, um, you know, I think a lot of us didn't think we would see him again on the singles court because this was uncharted territory while, you know, one of the Brian twins had that um, metal hip part put in singles 
three out of five at majors. Uh, but I was lucky enough this fall, I got to call some of his matches, like the one against Francis Tiapo, seven, six, six, seven, seven, six, three hours and 45 minutes. He brings so much to the court. He brings so much off the court with his, you know, his sort of humanity and his interest in um, many topics, um, whether it's equality for women or whether it's, you know, for the ATP to step up and be show more leadership when there was sexual abuse um, allegations or stories that went on at ATP tour tournaments and hotels. So, you know, he's not afraid to speak his mind. I feel like he is a become a true leader, uh, sort of like Venus Williams the last 10 years where, you know, not only is his play respected, but also his character and his values are very much respected. All right, good stuff. Um, Liz Clark, you want another bite at the apple? I like that another bite at the Can apple. Can you hear me? I'm so sorry. I was I was yes. lulled. I do, I do. Um, Good. and it was something Pam said that just roused my brain. So again, this is a non-Novak question. In fact, it's not about anyone in the tournament. Um, I wanna I wanna ask some thoughts, some questions about Peng Shui. Um and that is, I've never had the chance to ask either of you, you know, directly your feelings about the way the WTA leadership responded. Um, and, you know, amid our short attention span world and, and Novak is the story and do you see the Australian Open potentially as a place where she might be remembered and questions might still be asked about her well-being and safety? I'll just leave it there. Well, I think if it's going to come up, I think it's going to come up from players, individual players in press conferences. I think the Australian Open has their hands full and they're also have branded themselves the last 15 years as the Grand Slam of the Asia Pacific region with really strong ties to China. And the WTA tour, I just want to say, you know, having been a past president player on the tour for 19 years, I was able to play on the tour in the late 70s when many of the original nine um, who signed that dollar contract to leave the establishment to, to have women's tennis start their own tour. Um, there's been a lot of brave decisions, um, whether you were Martina Navratilova and defected from your home country. And then, you know, several, several of our greats of all time, like Billie Jean King and Martina Navratilova have been, um, you know, real leaders, leaders in the, um, in the, in the LBGTQ. I always get an initial wrong. I'm, I, Sorry, but anyway, that whole movement, um, Natasha Zvereva, when she was still a part of the Soviet Union was breaking up, said, I'm taking my prize money. Li Na basically told China, I'm taking my prize money. So um, I don't know. Women's tennis has a history of being brave, whether as an individual or as an organization. And I think Steve Simon has played this exactly as it should be played. And I think the board of board made up of tournaments and players have backed him. And obviously they have some time because the circuit in China isn't until after the U S open. And of course it can hurt financially, but how can you, how can you not do this when you're a women's organization and if one of your own is unable to speak freely about sexual abuse allegations. So I think the WTA has done a great job and, and it's been noticed throughout the world with their leadership. Thank you so and, much. And Liz, yes. I, I applaud the WTA's greatness 
and braveness because this is something that will gravely hurt them in the pocket because they have so many tournaments there. But what a great move of unity uh, that this will not be allowed. Very disappointing on the ATP side to have not made a decision yet. I feel like they should have done the same. And if all of a sudden things haven't gotten any better in China, those tournaments should be in Seoul, Korea or Singapore, you know, move them somewhere else, stay in the region, move somewhere else until there's resolution. But until Peng Shui is in, let me see, um, somewhere else in Asia, she's in Switzerland. Malibu in- as your neighbor. Okay, Malibu, you know, somewhere. Because um, there was a couple of Chinese players, uh, Pat Cash was here um, training with one of the girls um, that he works with, a Chinese player. But no other Chinese player has spoken about the Peng Shui situation because they probably know if they speak, you know, may, they might not get to travel. So this this situation is not over by a long shot. And it's still, you know, first and foremost, how is Peng Shui? That's, yeah. that's what, you know, we need to know. And until Terrific. she can kind of speak freely, we, we still don't know. Thank you both. All right, we'll let Richard take another turn. Thank you. Can, can you guys hear me? Yep. Yeah, okay, great. I want to ask you about Rafa. He won the Melbourne, the tune-up. At the same time, you know, he's short on match play, but he, he looks fit. How do you assess Rafa? He's only won it there once, but he's been a bunch of finals. And then the second question is, Barty trying to end the, um, you know, the Aussie drought, becoming the first Aussie since Chris O'Neill to win it. Do you think that's more likely, or do you think, as Dave said earlier, with, you know, first-time champions like when Kennan won or Raducanu, that we'll see that trend. Another first-time winner, or is it more likely that Barty will will snap the Aussie streak? Uh, I'll, okay, I'll start with Rafa. Um, Rafa looked great, you know, in Melbourne. Um, this tournament, obviously, you know, where he's ranked to, we got to see where the draw is. He's he's had in the last half a dozen years – He's, he struggled physically at this tournament starting the year on hard courts. So fingers crossed that he has some good health and it's just about his tennis. Um, and for him too, you know, it's just about him getting his confidence after not playing, you know, basically the second half of the year. But there were some really encouraging signs from him um, getting better in each match in Melbourne um, in, the, in ATP 250. Um, so I'm sure Rafa fans are a little bit excited and, and to find out where he's going to fall in the draw. But, um, I, everything for me about Rafa is, you know, his health. If he, if he stays healthy, he will get results because he does everything he can, you know, to put himself in the position to continue to succeed at the highest level. And, um, while Rafa would never, ever say this, his fans, is his main fans would, which is they hope that the home minister of uh, border control decides to pull the plug on Novak's uh, visa because that would increase the chances of Rafa finally winning his second Australian Open. It's kind of hard to believe that, you know, of 20 majors, he's only been able to win this once. And Brad mentioned, referred to all the many times where physically he hasn't been able to be at 100% in Australia. Um, 
yeah, I think his draw is important. I think, again, I, I know I mentioned the serve for Osaka. I think Rafa's got to have his fair share of free points. I think the serve has to go big, kind of like when he's won the U.S. Open in the past. His serve has been a big weapon, and I don't think it, he's served that well in Australia in the past. So that puts more pressure on him playing, you know, Rafa grinding tennis. As far as Ash Barty, I think she's got a huge chance to win here. And unlike Sam Stozer, who'd won the U.S. Open, and who could not perform with any kind of any form, got so nervous, she couldn't play in her home country's Grand Slam. Ash Barty actually has the last few years won a lot of matches down there. She should have beaten Muhova last year uh, in the quarters. Muhova took a, in, in one of those illness breaks um, that kind of threw off. Barty didn't use it as an excuse, but it kind of threw her off. Um, I thought she could have won last year. Um, and she showed at Wimbledon. The kind of pressure to win Wimbledon as an Australian is almost as big as winning the Australian Open. So, Richard, I think there's a pretty good chance she's playing the best tennis. And I love the way she's serving at five foot six. She's the best server inch for inch on either tour. She might not even be five, six. It's amazing how good she (laughs) serves. I'll say this, Richard. I got the feeling 10 to 15 could win it. Uh, I will put her as the favorite. But I'm going to say we are not going to have a first time winner. So if, if it's not Barty, it's somebody that's won a major. I, I feel like, you know, we're due for somebody. We, you know, we've had quite a few of these, these players that win majors that it's kind of affected them maybe before you thought they were going to win and they, they haven't been able to back it up. But, but I'm expecting somebody that's won a major to win this year's Aussie Open. I'll mention one of those players. Halep's playing great, by the way, the way she won the tournament. You know, Mm -hmm. some of the majors. So that's, I'm kind of feeling like, obviously there's, there's a lot of unexplained when we haven't seen the drop, then you can kind of analyze it better. But I hope that we get somebody that's won a major, you know, I, 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 it's fun to see unexpected major winners, but every once in a while, it's nice to see some chalk. If I could just quickly follow up, if Novak does play, what would it mean to the TV audience globally and also the fan base there in Melbourne? What kind of crowds would we see? And then secondly, after the whole U.S. Open default on ESPN, I remember John McEnroe said certain fan base are always going to see him as a villain. Now, do you think after all this dust settles, he's going to like try to clear the air and be transparent, try to win those people over? Or do you think he'll embrace it? Like, hey, I'm a renegade. I do it like an Aaron Rodgers. Like, this is the way I am. Take it or leave it. Or do you think he'll try to, you know, because he's a guy that likes to connect with people. He's a good communicator. How do you think he'll approach it? Brad, you want to go first? <laughs> yeah, you go ahead. You go first. I'll go after Um. Well, news is that like even the five days he spent in the detention hotel that he uh, connected with some of the people who've been in there for long, long, long time and that Novak perhaps has made some commitments to help them uh, with some legal defense. Because let's face it, I mean, you know, the, the, the doubles, the doubles player that was ceremoniously plucked out of the hotel pool and taken to the um, hotel to pack her gear and to be deported. She didn't have the funds or the wherewithal to get the legal team behind her that Novak did. So, you know, I think Novak will try. Um, I think he's always been actually is a pretty good humanitarian. He's done a lot in Serbia. He's done a lot for charities. Um, you know, he's just sort of got this other side that has been polarizing. So, um, 
Yeah, I mean, I think he will try to repair, but in the meantime, there's just there, we're not quite sure how much he's going to still need to repair because, as we all know, there might be one more big shoe to drop. But I think the crowds uh, quickly, and then I'll turn it over to Brad. If he plays, it's going to be like, like, uh, I don't know, like a home and away stadium all in one stadium. Because I think there's going to be a ton of Serbians that are going to try and flood and buy tickets. Um, they're going to try this. The Novak crowd is going to try and drown out the booze of the Australian public that it really aren't for an, a non-vaccinated player. And depending on the stories they believe around his COVID test. So I think it could have one of the most crazy atmospheres in a major stadium, but we could also have a lot of empty seats because they're Australia for the first time. They're afraid of what's going on with Omicron and they haven't suffered through you know, because they've kept it away until now. And so a lot of people are afraid of going out into the crowd. So there's a lot of unknowns, Richard. Well, first and foremost, Richard, of, of all the tournaments that we go to, I've never been, you know, to Serbia and seen Novak play in Serbia other than on TV. But in Melbourne, Novak has the biggest fan base I've seen at any tournament. And Later in the tournaments, I, I, I think sometimes after a semi and final, we've seen as many as six, 7,000 Serbians on hand, singing, wearing country colors, everything. He has a massive following. And obviously this has become such a polarizing thing in Australia, whether or not he should play, whether or not he should shouldn't play. Um, and we hopefully the crowds will come back next week because in the in the warm-up tournaments as Pam said you know they were pretty panicked last year if they had a few hundred cases in Australia and obviously their country was in devastating lockdowns for 18 months they're now having over a hundred thousand cases a day so hopefully they will be able to you know you know be able to come and we'll get the crowds but I don't know how I know how Novak's fans will react to him but I don't know how the Australian fans and public will react to, to Novak if he's allowed to play. But I can tell you, Richard, as a, as a network and covering it, we, we certainly hope that he's in the draw because the story will leave the sports pages and it'll be a news story, not just a sports story. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, we are uh, back to Anthony. Do you have more? You just wanted us. Okay. We just wanted to see your face again. Hello. Where are you in Canada? In Montreal. Oh, cool. it's freezing cold, Montreal. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yesterday it was it's 80 like, degrees mm -hmm. here. I was playing golf. Brad maybe went for a walk. It was like 85 degrees in Malibu. It was yeah. ridiculous. Well, it's, but it's, it'll it's be cold in Bristol next week. This week. In Celsius here, I think it was minus 30 yesterday. So like, you can't even. Sorry. <laughs> Other uh, thoughts on the tournament? Uh, Want to make some picks, Brad and Pam? I need to see the draw first, please. No um, picks until I, I see can, the draw. Yeah, I'll, I'll go with Barty on the women's side even before seeing the draw. And, you know, on the men's side, to me, we've got to wait and see if Novak's in or not. And I like to see the draw. I think the draw means more in three out of five set format. I'll, and the women's side's been so unpredictable, but I'll, I'll, I think Barty's got a good chance. As far as, you know, we're entering. 2022 and we're in a historic time in tennis with crazy things going on that leaves the sports pages the 
I still say the fact that we're entering a year with three men at 20 majors, you know, the big questions for the year will be, will, will Roger be able to get back physically? Will Serena be able to get back physically? Will Rafa maintain his health for the entire year? And what will Andy Murray's hip allow in his comeback? So I I feel like the storylines entering the year are as historic and in importance as any year we've ever had. And, and we enter it with this, crazy situation with Novak. And I agree with Brad, how much will vaccine mandates that you must be vaccinated to enter countries, how will that possibly derail his Grand Slam total? You two want to make a pick? Will he play? If he's allowed to, I I mean, he wants to play. Obviously he wants to play. If he didn't want to play, he would have gone home. Um, but now, um, if nothing changes, he will be playing on, I'm assuming his first match will be at night, you know, whether or not it's Monday night or Tuesday night. But I would think they would give him, I would think Brad is the number one player if he's in, they, they'll give him one extra day to prepare. I, I think, I bet he would yeah, be I think it's Tuesday, a, Tuesday half. It, yeah, it, it usually goes by halves. He'll be at the, the top of the draw being number one seed. So let's say his half goes on Tuesday. He'll be playing Tuesday night. But the only way that he's not going to be playing is if something happens in the next 24, 48, 72 hours that they they reverse the decision. Well, that's what I was getting at. What do you think the government will say about him? Well, I thought. Go ahead, Brad. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, look, it's been like a roller coaster with this whole thing. Um, And I thought two days ago it looked like, okay, he's going to play. But then. I have some friends and, you know, cause I was married to an Australian and I have a lot of friends down there. And, and now I feel like the government based on more information, they're trying to uncover around the mid December events and may, and whether or not he, whether his agent checked off, you know what, if you lie on your visa, if you give not accurate information on a visa, you are responsible for your own visa and in the, okay, you're an athlete and you delegate a lot, you, you know, he's number one in the world. So someone else does it and he blames the agent. But let me tell you any, at any point, this governor minister should say, okay, I've had it. We've done our polls. We've got an election coming up in a few months and we're going to go this way. I mean, a lot of it, it could end up just being what the polls say. So talk about out of control of Craig Tiley, tennis, Australia, Novak. It's, it's in the hands of, politics and you know like a cabinet member in their government and and the you, prime minister you know, as, you know as well as i do and more because you were married in Aussie. i've been going to australia for 40 years and let me tell you from the first time that i went they've got they've had more forms and stuff that if you don't you know cross your t's and dot your eyes on a visa there you can have problems because once i was a player there i forgot to get a visa for working visa. I showed up the first time I showed up in Australia with no working visa. And it was like, uh, you can't play here without a working visa. I, I just, you know, didn't know that you could come. I thought I was could play the tournament on a tourist visa. So they've always been strict in Australia. So, and you, you know, sometimes people fudge on forms, but like if you fudge on, you know, or give misinformation on a visa form, you can have problems, especially in Australia. 
if you forget you have a piece of fruit in your luggage and you walk through and, and the dogs sniff it out when you're waiting for your baggage, you could be deported. I mean, they take, take it seriously. They take they it used seriously. To spray, remember when we fruit, would get off? Yeah, the, the fruit flies. They'd spray the... Yeah, like, they oops, spray us the down bins. like we were... Yeah, like mosquitoes on the plate. <laughs> All right, anyway. good stuff. Hope everybody enjoyed it, makes use of it. It all starts Sunday night, exclusive to ESPN on our platforms every day, every match. So uh, thank you all for your time, especially Pam and Brad and your opinions. And I guess we'll just have to see what happens in the next few days.